James really hits on uh, just be not only hearers but doers of the word. It's a faith with works. And it describes a, a genuine religion. It's doing the word, and we must realize, is proof that a profession of faith is genuine. You know, this person in the last two verses is marked by three things that we saw. It's bridling the tongue, which we know is a hard thing to do. It's caring for orphans and widows, and it's not just visiting them. It's, it's a service. We have, there's a servant's heart there that takes care of them, their needs. And three, keeping unstained from the world. This person strives to be spotless and knows the dangers of having affections of the world. So moving on to chapter 2, here James continues to illustrate you know, what a genuine faith looks like, which is a life of doing the word. It is easy to hear the word and profess your faith, but one with genuine faith is an effectual doer of the word. He keeps his commandments because the genuine Christian looks intently into the word, meditates upon it, and loves to hear it. I mean, he loves to hear it because it's Christ's voice. So if you're able to stand with me, uh, if you would, as we read verses uh, 1 through 13 of chapter 2. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes... And there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in the good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down on my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the law, and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. But now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Maybe seated. <clears throat> Let's pray. Oh, gracious Father, the thing that continues to be on my heart and mind is like, who am I? to bring forth your word to a people. But even through this passage, I see how you use uh, weakness 
and use the foolishness of this world just to magnify yourself. May you open ears to hear and just teach us, O Lord. In Christ's name, amen. So looking at verse 1 again, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. So in verse 1, James instructs to not show partiality or personal favoritism, in other words. Or do not hold your faith, which means your faith should not reflect this. This is not what a genuine Christian will practice. The faith of a Christian does not include partiality. But is marked by love. Love of God, love of the brethren, love of thy neighbor, even love for your enemies. Love is not partial to the poor, nor honors the mighty. We saw, see in Leviticus 19.15, it says, You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In Proverbs 14.31, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. So we see there is no room in the life of a Christian for partiality. So I just have uh, five main points, um, if you'd like to keep notes, or maybe it'll help follow. Um, so number one, understanding partiality, you know, what is it? This is verses two and three, understanding partiality. Number two, shows the folly of partiality, verses four through seven. And three, the concession or you are doing right if you obey the law. Be verse 8. And 4, be the correction. You are behaving contrary to the law, and so it is sin. Verses 9 through 11. And then 5, the exhortation, should be the last two verses, 12 and 13. So one, understanding partiality. What is it? So we begin with the picture of partiality, the attitude of personal favoritism. Looking at two again, for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, you pay special attention to the one wearing the fine clothes. Personal favoritism is giving a person less honor or respect, or more or less honor, respect on an outward appearance or an external. So verse 3, we saw it, it's, it's giving a special attention. That's how James calls it out. The special attention first reveals itself as an attitude. So you, you think, think about this. The one first observes something or a person or what, what he's wearing or whatever the external and forms an opinion, which is the attitude. This is then followed by an action in form of speaking or doing and like the example, there is special attention given to the man with the gold ring and the fine clothes. The poor man, you know, we know he's dressed shabbily. Maybe he smells. It's not, it doesn't tell that, but that's possible. But while the rich man, for example, has the gold ring, 
you know, indicating maybe some importance, you know, again, also dressed in fine clothes. There's the external, that's the observation. But because of this outward appearance, he is given the honorable seat, and the poor man in dirty clothes is given the least honorable position. You sit here in the good place, rich man with nice clothes and gold ring, okay? And you say to the poor man, you stand over here or sit below my footstool. Not a very honorable position. I don't think many of us would like to stand during the whole service. So moving on uh, to two, point two, the folly of partiality. This is the foolishness of it. Under here, uh, there's subpoints, kind of, if you want to call it that, this A through E. So looking at verse 4, the first part of that, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? To make a distinction among yourself or yourselves would be like thinking you are better than someone else. It's to separate, it's to discriminate, it's to oppose or maybe to withdraw from. John MacArthur comments, If you are willing to embrace certain people into your friendship and keep other people out of your friendship purely based on the external, that's not a very good record when taking the test of true faith. So we need to ask ourselves, are there certain people you withdraw from because they dress a certain way, because they speak a certain way? You know, or look a certain way, being ugly or handsome, young or old? simple-minded or intelligent. But again, it's important to take note here that James is addressing the church, as he says in there, among yourselves. He's addressing the brethren, the beloved. So this is a problem in the church body, the fellowship. So, obviously be wise for us to continuously inspect our hearts, to inspect our behaviors and motive towards one another during or before, you know, during church and after church. The last part of 4, verse 4, this would be B. And become judges with evil motives, or become judges with evil thoughts, as all other translations, or most majority of the translations have it. Become judges with evil motives, evil thoughts. So here the person has made the observation and has allowed evil thoughts to bring him to a point of judgment. Think about this, the manifestation of partiality, or how this comes about. It, brings, it begins at one point in time when the eyes saw or the ears heard, okay, or maybe the nose smelled, right, then the observation is made. Like James says, here's the observation again, like I said before, but a rich man with a gold ring dressed in fine clothes and the poor man in dirty clothes. That's the observation. Then there are thoughts about the person which will be good or evil thoughts. Like, I want him near me or I want him away from me. Right? could be one example. In this case, in verse 4, there are evil thoughts which lead to judging, which is to honor the rich man and to dishonor the poor man. The evil thought is followed through with the decision to act or to speak. It's the doing. You sit in the good place, and you sit at my footstool. The evil deed is done. You have shown, or there has been shown, partiality. But you may be thinking, is showing personal favoritism really that evil? Is it really that wicked? Yes, it is. Because demonstrating evil toward your brethren 
We are brothers and sisters in Christ is the opposite of what we are commanded to do by God. You cannot practice partiality and be consistent with calling yourself a Christian. John writes over and over again, you are not a true Christian if you do not have love. Love is a mark of a genuine Christian. 1 John 4, 7-8 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So practicing partiality and claiming to hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious one that God is revealed in human flesh to us, is absolutely incompatible. In the verse 5, this would be 2C. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? There is foolishness in not understanding or maybe accepting that God chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. In the Beatitudes, we see it in Matthew 5, 3. Is it not the poor in spirit that Jesus says receives the kingdom of God? Then who are you, rich man? Is it not Christ who became poor that we might be rich? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. Christ did not come as a lion to destroy, but as a sacrificial lamb to save. God did not call the wise or the rich or the powerful to preach Christ crucified, but used unsophisticated preachers, fishermen, working class nobodies to proclaim the gospel. The verse 6, or D, but you have dishonored the poor man. Here James gets personal and confronts them with their own sins. You have dishonored the poor man. When there is sin, it needs called out. It needs confronted and rebuked, just as the prophet Nathan did with David's sin in 2 Samuel 12. You are the man says, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? So if Nathan was here presently, would there be reason for him to come to you and say, you are the man or woman? Have you had evil thoughts, despised someone in the church based on the external, shown personal favoritism, We search our hearts, seek to remove pride and partiality. But also, dishonor is foolish because demonstrating partiality is contrary to God's dispensation and character. Vision 6 9 says, There is no partiality with him. Romans 2 11, for there is no partiality with God. 2 Chronicles 19.7, The Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality. We emulate God's character and obey His will when we refuse to play favorites. 
on the other hand, <clears throat> excuse me, do take note that God will have no part in unrighteousness. So not being partial doesn't mean we accept sins of this world. Some might say, oh, you say, don't be partial to the rich or dishonor the poor, but then how can you show partiality or, or dishonor homosexuals? We must first understand homosexuality is a sin. Okay, We could pick many other sins, okay, but obviously this is an issue of the day. And he's dealt with in many churches. Homosexuality is a sin. 1 Corinthians 6 9. 1 Timothy 1 10. Sin is never condoned. Confronting sin is not being partial. Confronting sin is not being partial. Sin must be confronted. If sin wasn't confronted, if sin wasn't put to death by Christ, then none could be saved would be saved. None could stand righteous before God. None could be justified. All would be damned. But because so many, wanting their ears tickled or wanting their ears entertained, have heaped up for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, having turned their ears away from the truth and turned aside the fables, have made and accepted a separate class of people where man and woman were given over to their lustful passions, abandoning their natural functions. See this in, in Romans 1, 26 and 27. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. God does not create homosexuals, nor ever has. He is not the author of sin. This is heresy. Do not be deceived, my brethren, as James says in 1, 13-16. We study that a ways back. Not practicing partiality doesn't mean we should ever accept sin. But doesn't ever mean we hate the person either. We abhor the sin. So moving on to verse 6. to be E, the folly of honoring the rich. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? James charges rich unbelievers with three sins, exploiting Christians, dragging them in the court, and slandering the name of God. So why honor the rich when it is they who oppress and blaspheme? It is senseless to bestow special honors with regard to evil treatments. But it's a warning for us as well. Though you may not think yourself as rich, but I'd say you know, maybe many of us are when compared to you know, other countries. Just some quick research. You know, out of top 30 countries, U.S. averages, or United States averages $58,000 annual wage annual income, doubling and tripling most other countries. So the danger here is that many of us had had little experience of misery and so have little pity and little mercy on the poor. It's difficult to have compassion on the poor when you haven't experienced similar miseries and trials. This is why Paul instructs 
in 1 Timothy 6.17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. There's always a danger here. How often do we despise those and look down on the, you know, the lower class or show more dignity to those who have a degree or a higher income or drive a nice car? Now, how many, how many times I've seen um, the question asked to multitudes you know, of high school students, so where are you going to college? You know, in hopes that and the, the, the motive behind that question is, is typically, I'd say the majority, because people want them to make a lot of money. You know? But let's not look down on, for example, anyone that would not go to college just because they may make a little bit less money. So point three, the, con- the concession. You are doing right if you obey the law. The concession. You are doing right if you obey the law. So verse eight again. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. Or you are doing right. Fulfilling. This means to bring to an end, to finish. It's carrying out God's law to a point of completion, resulting in a faith with works. And what is being fulfilled? It's the royal law, to love your neighbor as yourself. We may have heard that a lot. It may be the golden rule to some people. To love another as yourself is the opposite of personal favoritism. You do well, you do right, again, if you carry this out. But think about this. You know, again, the Christian is evidenced by love. And Christ says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. That you also love, have love for one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But can you imagine what our relationships would be like if we loved others as much as we loved ourselves? Paul explains in Ephesians you know, 5.29 to husbands, <clears throat> applicable to all of us, for no one ever hated his own flesh. No one ever hated themselves. But nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We would strive to nourish and cherish each other. There be no evil speaking of one another, no bitterness, but just kindness, tenderheartedness, Forgiveness, or forgiving each other just as God and Christ forgave you. There'd be no discrimination, no partiality. I know it may only exist in glory, but it's an example. Point four, the correction. You are behaving contrary to the law, and so it is sin. The correction. Verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Verse 10 For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in just one point, he has become guilty of all. Or he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
So if you didn't realize it yet, or maybe if I failed to make the point you know, or call it out, then here it is again. Partiality is sin. Do not think of this lightly. If you stumble here, willingly and constantly, you have failed to keep the law and guilty of all. Again, James with the example. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You cannot pick and choose what parts of the law to obey. A genuine believer strives to keep all of God's commandments. There should never be an attitude of, you know, how far can I go before it's sin? You don't look for that line. You don't go to that fence. You don't, you know, type rope or whatsoever you call it. You know, walk on top of the fence, you know, balancing. <laughs> you don't do that. But instead, how far can I stay away from the sin? How well can I fulfill and do his laws? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. Point five, the exhortation, verses 12 through 13. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. It's regarding speaking. You know, and it may be easy, we may tend to be more liberal with our words or our speech, not thinking they are as harmful as physical deeds. But this is just simply not true. James already has already addressed. We saw this back in one twenty-seven, uh, or chapter one, verse twenty-seven. Does so again in chapter three, verse two, and chapter five, verse nine. And Jesus says, Matthew twelve thirty-six. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Saying, "You sit below my footstool." can do great harm to a person's heart. The person is being dishonored, you know, as well as feeling dishonored. But we are instead to behave as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. What does this mean? Theologian Dan McCartney comments, to behave as those about to be judged by the law of freedom is to remember mercy, and justice, and thereby proclaim liberty. God is merciful and just, therefore Christians must be merciful and just. So to carry out this godly behavior, it is vital to remember God's mercy and justice. That's demonstrated to us. The moment this truth begins to slip our mind, this is when the danger grows greater and greater of being merciless to others and falling into the sin of partiality. It's a red flag for us. Children, do you know what mercy means? Feel free. You can give a quick definition if you want. What's another word for mercy? Having mercy. Spell it out if you want. Another word for mercy. Gentle? Okay. Sure. What? Kindness? Yep. Forgiving? Amen. Not getting what you deserve? Amen. Yep. All on. It's being full of compassion. Like some of you said, treating people with kindness, forgiveness, 
no matter what they've done to you or what you think they deserve. But more importantly, it's not receiving a judgment or a consequence or the wrath of God that you deserve due to your sins if you repent. So be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Father God. Luke 6.36. Verse 13. As a further word of warning, James says that judgment will be merciless. Judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. So first of all, if one has shown no mercy, then this would be referring to unbelievers. Because if a person has been shown the mercy of God, okay, so if a person has been shown the mercy of God and made alive in Christ, then his behavior will evince some mercy. Some mercy will be evident right, in his life. John MacArthur comments, you know, when a man lives without mercy to others in God's world, he simply shows off the fact that he himself has never responded aright to the immeasurable mercy of God. Living a life without mercy is portrayed by partiality. This is how it shows itself. Okay? Partiality, selfishness, hardness of heart, and disregard for the concern of others. For judgment will be merciless. A merciless, unrepentant life will result in judgment and condemnation. So, friend, is this you? Do you know Christ? Do you need forgiveness of your sins? And you need to look to Christ crucified on the cross. He bore your sins so that God's judgment shall be merciful upon you. Repent and believe, and your sins shall be wiped away and declared righteous before Almighty God. Then, brethren, you know, how, how is your mercy? Are you guilty of personal favoritism? How is your compassion toward the poor or your neighbor? Christ says in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's why James writes, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Your mercy will testify your saving faith. God will be merciful to you because mercy triumphs over judgment. <clears throat> in closing, may us offer a few uh, final helps. That's number one. You want to know how to remedy partiality. You know, look at your depravity, your own depravity, your own sinful nature, and look to the cross. Christ became poor so that we could become rich, so that you could become rich. Spiritually speaking, we were all dead. Only saved by the grace of God. Remembering this, Again, remembering this will keep your heart humble and from exalting yourself above others. Two, remember that all spiritual blessings of faith, love, wisdom, patience, humility, strength, and mercy are perfect gifts from the Father above, from the throne of grace. Pray for wisdom and mercy often. James 3.17 says, 
But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is the wisdom we must cry out for. And lastly, three. Again, be not hearers of the word only, but doers. Speak and act in a manner that is Christ-like and fulfill the royal law, showing compassion to all people, demonstrating honor and respect for a person no matter if poor or rich, if dressed finely or shabbily, whether doctor or janitor, position nor class nor title, should have a bearing or a weight to the value of another person. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we uh, thank you so much for not being partial. By your grace, saving when we just deserved nothing. So thankful for the gift of Christ, the sacrifice, the blood atonement. Lord, would you help us? Would you, um, may we just be a people that cry out for wisdom and understanding that we seek it above all other things in this world. We seek it above gold and silver. Lord, we need your mercy, that we may be mercy merciful. Help us to get rid of the pride in our hearts. Humble us and that we may fulfill the royal law to love the neighbors as ourselves. May we love as Christ is loved. In his name, amen.